Well, good morning to each one and a welcome to all. It's good to be with you this morning. I certainly enjoyed and appreciated and needed the worship that we have experienced already here. I'm thankful for the meaning of those songs that we just sang, that his wounds have paid my ransom, and that it's him who has given himself for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So this morning, as we come to this time of, of opening the word, I want to I want to look into what God has for us. And if and I invite you this morning to turn with me to Ephesians 4. And we want to continue our our study and our our discovery in Ephesians 4. We will be we will be starting here in verse 25 and we will be going to the end of the chapter hopefully if we can make it through. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, and we want to begin in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness... Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we need your grace, we need your spirit. Lord, to understand what you are teaching us. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that your word would become alive in our hearts, your truth would become practical to us, that our lives would reflect your word and give you honor and glory by the obedience that comes from your truth, by your spirit. We ask, Lord, to minister to our hearts by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we have been coming through Ephesians, and the, we're continuing in the practical application of the doctrine we begin with. He began teaching us the doctrine of salvation and its, and its, 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 its doctrinal implications and its doctrinal truths how that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, how that it is in Christ and in no other that we have found salvation in Him and how that we were redeemed from, from, corruptible, uh, from our corruption of our sin and from the old man, and how that we have been placed in a new creation. We are made a new creation and placed in, in, put in a new kingdom, placed in a new in a new realm, and we are given a place in the church. And the unity that he has given the church is the unity of himself being our head, himself being that which ties us all together. And if it were not for him, there would be no unity. If there would not be for, be for if it were not for him, there would be no church. But it's the it's Christ Himself who keeps the unity of the Spirit 
and he and the, the Holy Spirit ministering that which Christ has done for us to us and it's it comes from Christ the Holy Spirit ministers it to us and gives us the ability to put to practice to live out what he has worked in and is working in and so that's where we're at we're we're going to go as the apostle paul has here we're going to go from preaching to meddling today and so i i i trust that if you have an offense with with the gospel that you're honest that this is an offense with the gospel i'm not trying to meddle into your lives there are things i'm not supposed to be meddling into but the word of god the holy spirit has a right to go where i can't go so i want him to do the work this morning we're just going to preach the word we want to let the word do the work well he gets very practical here the title of this message is putting off sin to put on righteousness putting off sin to put on righteousness and if you recall the last message we had he tells us here in in looking back here in in chapter four he tells us that we are to put off in verse 22 concerning your former conduct the old man you're to take him off like an old coat like a nasty dirty coat and throw him away he's not suitable for the new kingdom he's not suitable for the new life he doesn't he's not compatible with the spirit of god in fact you will always find that the battle is to take him off. Because light, unlike an old coat, I can take this coat off and I can throw it away, but, and then my coat's off. But when we're dealing with sin, it's like pulling off one piece at a time and throwing it off and replacing it with Christ. And we, we're continually pulling pieces off and replacing them with Christ. Now, Salvation is not by works, and I don't want anybody here, and we, if you've been with us through the rest of this book, you understand that that's not what I'm teaching here this morning. It is by grace, and it is by grace alone. It is only Christ coming to you and bringing salvation into your heart that by faith you have been saved. It is by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he, has prepared, which he has before prepared that we should walk in them. You see, my friends, it is not that we're saved by good works, but God in his salvation prepares the works for us to do and prepares us to do the works. And continually putting off the old man is his way of preparing us for more good works, for more things that he would do in us and through us, for more blessing that he would bring into our lives, for more comfort in the Holy Spirit that we could have, for less doubt and less trouble and less confusion, for less inclination to walk after the flesh, and for more desire to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we're talking about works, this is a growing thing that comes after salvation. Until salvation, you cannot do the works that please God. I can't do the works that please God. He says, the flesh cannot please God in Romans 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Jesus said, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's a clear divide there, and we must keep it a clear divide. And that is why we are to put off. That's why we're to take away and undo. And God asks us to be participants with His Holy Spirit in the putting off and the putting on after we are born again. So we begin here in verse 25. He says, Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Put off lying and put on truth. It is time, my friends, as Romans 13 says, it's high time that we've left the ways of darkness now. We're not children of the night, but we're children of the day. Truth 
abides and stays and flourishes in our lives in the light. Truth is light. It brings that which is reality into focus. Truth is reality. Truth is that which is reality in God's eyes. We have this thing today called your reality and my reality that the modern world has tried to impose upon us. There is one true reality, and that's what God says is reality. And we must, we must come to grips with that if we are going to be understanding the truth of God's Word. The world cannot impose its, its understanding of truth upon us. And this is an age-old problem. You go all the way back to, the, to, to Jesus standing on trial before Pilate, and Jesus said, I'm here to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate just, just kind of smirkingly, laughingly says, what is truth? What is truth? Man has always had to deal with this issue of truth because we have believed a lie for so long. And it comes inherent in our nature. We choose, we choose to hide from God in a lie rather than face Him and acknowledge Him in the truth. It is inherent in our nature to do what Adam and Eve did after they had sinned. They had spent their time before their sin, walking in the cool of the day with God, being in fellowship with Him. And it was obviously a time to look forward to, a time to enjoy, a time where He could teach them and, and, and be their God. And when they sinned, immediately they went and hid. They could not abide in the presence of God any longer. Lying became <clears throat> a part to cover their sin. Lying here is really any conscious and intentional falsehood. Any conscious and intentional falsehood. The Greek word is pseudos. We have a lot of pseudo-fake or imitation things. You know, we were invited over to someone's house years ago, and this lady was almost a vegan, nothing against a vegan, but she fed us something that was an imitation of meat called tofu. And it was a true imitation. It was not the real thing. You know, when you come to the truth of God's words, you're not getting an imitation. You're getting the real, the real meat, if you please. But we have believed the false for so long. And we've acquired a taste to it. Our flesh loves the, the untruth. Our flesh loves the lie because for a time we get ourselves off the hook of the truth with it. But friends, it's time. It is high time, the apostle is saying, that we put away, we take off this cloak of lying, this cover of the untruth that has cloaked us uh, from the reality that God would want us to face. We're here to put away the lying of the heart or the intent to lie. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us lay aside every sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race which is set before us. You know, when if you and I were going to run a race this morning, we're going to be involved in a, mar in a half marathon or something. You know, I would not go looking for my big winter coat and my bib overalls to run this race in. I'd be throwing off everything that I could that I be down to the essentials to run this race so that I don't have anything hindering me or dragging me down. That's the, that's the, that's the picture here. Lying or uh, believing and abiding in the untruth is going to hold you back. It's going to keep you from pursuing Christ. It's going to be that which is in your path all the time in relationship with Christ. And he says, I want you to take it off. I want you to put it off. That's the amazing thing, friends. That is the amazing thing of grace. That we can, he can just say, put it off. Get rid of it. 
Before grace, we were bound by it. Before we came to the truth, before Christ did His work of grace in our lives, we were slaves to sin. We were enslaved to the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were bound to this thing, and it was our master. It drove us where it wanted to. But when we have been born again in Christ Jesus, he says, just throw that thing away. You don't need that thing here. It's not going to do you any good here. Throw off the line. Put it away. Lying is to be pushed out. It's to be, it's to be bumped out of our life to be replaced with the truth. It is to not just so that we're left hanging wide open, but the truth is supposed to be put on. He says, not just stop your lying, but start speaking the truth. In fact, this goes back to an Old Testament passage in Zechariah, and I want to turn there for a bit. Zechariah 8. And this, in this passage, God has something to say about Israel and their associations with each other. It is a part of our ability to associate and communicate with one another. If someone is not telling the truth, is constantly not telling the truth, you don't have confidence in what that person has to say. And so it is of a essence that in the body of Christ, we can depend on one another. It is of essence that what we do and what we say, the world can look at us and say, I know that comes from God. I know what that man says is the word of God. I know the truth is in him. You see, we're a picture to the world of what truth is to look like. And Jesus said, that's what I came for is to bear witness of the truth. I came here for this purpose. But let's look here in Zechariah. And we look here in chapter 8, and we want to begin in verse 16. And this is a quote from these. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. For all these things, for these, I'm sorry, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Notice that he says, you are to speak truth. Each man speak truth to his neighbor. You're to be honest before your neighbor. And we know who our neighbor is. He's the one, as Jesus taught that's next to us. He's in our need, in need next, next by to us. We pass him, or we, we have dealings with him, or we, have, we, we run into him, we bump into him in town. You know, he says, speak the truth to him. Be truthful with him. And then he says, give judgment in your gates for truth justice and peace and this has to do with ruling the country it has to do with ruling a nation listen my friends lying is so rampant today because we are ruled with lies there is lying at the top level in this country and there's a there's a there's a shroud of untruth and lying that people hi, are hiding behind we know we see these things coming out all the time that so and so did this and so and so broke the law here and they hid it for years. And it is, a, it is a temptation for us to go along with the lie. Listen, we're the truth, friends. We've got nothing to be ashamed of. And we must, we must consciously, we must consciously give ourselves to the truth. It is time that we consciously not only, not only put away the lying, but notice what he says. Give judgment in your gates for justice, for truth, justice, and peace. It's time you, 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 you intentionally pursue 
What is just? In other words, what is justice means equity. What is what is right? That you that you pursue what is truth, and you pursue what brings peace. You see, lying may may bring a sense of peace for a time, but eventually we get found out. Eventually the truth comes out. You know, years ago, the government lied to the people of the United States about something that was going on internationally because they didn't want the people to get stirred up and get into another war. That's all starting to come out now. There's, that's starting to be found out, and there's some tragic things that have happened because of the lie. Friends, that we're, we tend to go that direction, and that's exactly what we tend to do in our personal lives. It is of our flesh to cover a, a matter, conceal a thing, so that it's not going to cause any ripples right now. It's not going to make any problems right now. But listen, friends, we're going to deal with this thing down the road, or we're going to, most importantly, if we don't deal with it here, it's going to be dealt with on the day of judgment. And this, my friends, God will bring every word, every lie that we have said, spoken, done, or, or, or tried to be a part of, he will bring that into account one day. Because Jesus, in his salvation, gives us the truth. We have nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 3 that those who are of the, of the evil one, they hide their works. They, they love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. evil. But he that loves, that loves God comes to the light so that his deeds may be revealed that they've been wrought in God. Someone who studies the truth and, 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 and intentionally goes after the truth and wants the truth in his life and, and submits himself to the truth, is not ashamed when the light's shone on him, when the heat's turned up, when he's under pressure. He just, the truth just bubbles over. It comes out. And listen, friends, that's what God wants from us. There's coming a day and time in this country, I believe, when we will be called to account for the truth. People are, the, the, this government is not going to always tolerate Christianity. And it is of importance, utmost importance, that in that day we are of the truth, following the truth, engaged in the truth, because it's the truth, my friends, that speaks to the heart, that convicts of sin, that holds back sin. It is of utmost importance that we be men and women of the truth. What we say comes out of our hearts. We must intentionally cleanse our hearts from these things. Now let's notice what else he says here in Ephesians 4 and in verse 25. A tie to this, he says, for we are members one of another. Listen, friends, the truth affects us all. The lie affects us all. If I'm living in a lie, I'm affecting all my brothers and sisters with my lie. But when I come to the truth, I also encourage and, and desire, and it's an example for others to also come to the truth. You see, when we're truthful about ourselves, about Christ, about His Word, about, about our lives, we this truth begins to affect all those that are around us. We're not just an island out here on ourselves. But he says, you're actually a member. You're a limb. You're a part. You're connected. You know, if something happens to my little finger and I smash that thing, immediately my other hand comes up. It's affected by the smashing of my little finger. And so it is in the body of Christ. When, we, when one member is involved in the untruth, hiding in the untruth, all the other members are affected by it. 
We cannot, we cannot deny that in the body of Christ there is a connection that Christ has given to all His children. And it's a connection to the head. And the head Himself said, I am here, I've come to bear witness to the truth. And we know immediately that when we are caught in a lie, or when a lie is a part of our lives, we are not in line with the one who is bearing witness to the truth. And so, my friends, when we look at one another, we need to encourage one another to come to the truth with everything that he has put, given us to, to that he brings into our lives. Sometimes we get caught in things. Sometimes we don't have the ability to know everything. And we say something before we know it's true or untrue. We, there are those times, but we just need to be truthful. You know, that, just, that, that ends the problem right there. You know, if you're unintentionally involved in something that is, is, a, is a lie, just, just come to the truth with it. Just, just come to the light with it. And my friends, that's the way it is with, with the gospel. It is that we are to come to the light of the truth, the light of the gospel that brings us to a place where we're unashamed and we're, we're, we're happy that our, our works can be wrought in God and they're not mine, but they are Christ that are worked in and through me. So I ask us this morning, what have we done with our deceitfulness? All of us, in some form or fashion, in some way, want to be deceitful to a point. And it, it brings about an insecurity because we don't want to be vulnerable. You know, to come to the truth often makes us, at the, initi- at the initial onset, makes us vulnerable. And there's, we never lose that feeling of vulnerability. There's always that sense that I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm open. Somebody could really hurt me badly. But we do this because it's more important to be truthful than it is to be safe. Now, we come to the truth, we come to the knowledge of the truth because there's one who has taken our protection upon himself. We are safe because of Christ. We're not safe because we make ourselves safe. Lies do not really make us safe, and the day of judgment is going to reveal that. And so I ask you this morning, what have you done with your deceitfulness are you willing to be open to the truth even if it makes you vulnerable are you willing to renounce your lying are you willing to put away that which is untruthful and i just had to face that this week i got caught in something i wasn't realizing what what was going on and i got caught in in something that wasn't quite true and realized that i need I need to clarify the truth here. Have we been willing to stop the pursuit of evil speaking and slander so that truth can be the aim of our speech? See, we've got to put this stuff off so that we can aim at truth. You remember how we were talking in Wednesday evening about sin? Part of sin is that word called hamartia in the Greek. And Young man, you remember what, what was the what's the picture that we have of this word? Somebody want to say it? Target. Missing the target. It was a set of an archer who was shooting, and he missed the target. That's what's hamartia. That's what's that's the word that's used for sin in the New Testament. It's the most used word for sin. Lying is missing the target with God. God expects a standard of truth, a norm of truth, a target of truth for all of us. And by God's grace, we must aim for the truth at all costs. It is that truth that's going to make us effective in the gospel. If I can't speak the truth to my wife and to my children at home, how can I get in the pulpit and speak the truth of God's word? How can I witness to my neighbor and speak the truth with him if I can't speak the truth in other areas of my life? Truth permeates the whole or it's not truth. It's true or it's not. 
And we must come to, to the realization that God is calling us to aim for his standard of truth that goes all the way down to the very issues of our everyday lives. <clears throat> Secondly, let's go to, let's notice that he says, he brings up a second thing, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Now, not only are we to put off our lying and put on the truth, but we're to pay attention to our anger. We're to pay attention here. He doesn't say you're automatically sinning if you become angry. That's not what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. And this is a tough thing to really understand because the, the word here for anger is a, is a different word than the word wrath, where he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Those are two different words. The word angry means to be provoked or to be stirred up, to be aroused, to be, to be brought up and, 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 and made to, to, to be angry. Uh, this often happens when we know that there are things that are not right. There's an injustice being done. There's a, there's a wrong thing being done against somebody. And something rises up within us. And, and that's, not, that's not necessarily a wrong thing for that thing to rise up. If nobody got angry, nothing would ever get done for the truth. If nobody ever got any sense of being provoked or stirred up, nothing good would happen that would be meaningful. So there's a certain sense of, of being stirred up that's right. In fact, this is a quote from Psalm 4. And let's go back to Psalm 4. And, and let's look at, at what, Psalm, what, what the psalmist has to say here. <clears throat> Psalm 4 and verses 4 and 5. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Notice that he says, Meditate with your heart on your bed and be still. You know, this... This is an immediate indignation that rises up over something that's wrong. But he says, do not let it go to sin. Even righteous indignation in us can turn to sin. And it can do that fairly quickly. It doesn't take long before we, we, we make it about us. We make it, we make it our thing. And what he's simply saying is, when you're roused, when you're angry, meditate in your heart. Take, there's going to come a time where, where you know, it may provoke you at the time, but you need, to go, you need to go somewhere where you can just be still and think about this. You need to think it through. An angry man is often an unrational man. He doesn't use thinking and, and, and his mind to to comprehend and sort through the things that have went on and took place. And he's asking us here to use the mind that God gave us and to meditate. And I believe when we meditate, it simply means it's the same thing as a cow that, you know, after she's eaten her grass and she's, her tummy's full, she lays down on the, in this pasture and she begins to chew her cud. She's chewing over what she's already gotten and we need to chew over what we've already been through we need to think through what we've done we need to think through why was i angry why did i get roused up like that notice he says that when you think this through and you think through the word of god what does god have to say about this issue he says offer sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. You need to come out of this not being angry continually, 
But make a conscious choice that you will worship the Lord in this situation. You will humble yourself before Him. That whole thing of bringing sacrifices has to do with confessing sin. Worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, giving Him honor and worship. And then He says, you need to put your trust in Him. You might be angry over something you can't control. You might be angry about something that somebody else did that was not your problem. But you need trust in the Lord for this. It may affect you. It may have a painful effect upon your life. But in order for you not to sin, in order for me not to sin, when we become angry, it must go back to the Lord. We must say, Lord, I'm angry about this, but I will trust in you. I'm going to put that rest, this whole thing in your hand. In fact, in Mark 3, verse 5, when Jesus came to heal the, the, the man, he, he looked around, the man with the withered hand, I believe it was, he looked around and saw the hardness of their hearts, and he got angry. It provoked him to anger that their hearts were so hard about this man being crippled. Brother Glenn, last Sunday, he talked of another place where Christ got angry. When he cleaned the temple out. They were using the temple, the place of God's worship, for something that was not intended by God. And he, he, he says he drove the animals out. He, he upset the tables and poured out the money changers' money. He was angry. But he didn't sin. Again, we have someone who, we, we, we look to Christ as our perfect example. But again, it was not about himself. It was about his father's house. It was about the worship of his father. It was about these men defiling the word and worship of God. Again, we must understand that he is Christ. He is Lord. He is the sovereign one. He has the authority to do this. Maybe, and and we, can, we can acknowledge that he has more authority to do this than, than maybe we would. I think we have to humble ourselves under that and say, look, this may not be for me to do this. But at the same time, that being roused up at something that was wrong was not a wrong thing. But what would we have done? Our anger may have gotten out of control. Our anger may have become vengeful. It may have become bitterness. It may have become wrath. That's what he says is sin. In fact, in James chapter 1, he says in verse 19, that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. When it goes from being aroused about something to being wrathful, this, this word wrath, is anger out of control. It's anger that is, that, is, that is spent in an ungodly way to damage and to hurt. It's when anger becomes bitterness. It's when anger becomes vengefulness. It becomes hatred. Friends, not only do we, need, do we have this righteous indignation, but we have a real need to control our wrath. This anger comes, becomes unrighteousness when it is allowed to be uncontrolled. In fact, he brings up, here in Ephesians 4, he brings up, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. The sun going down is a significant time. It's a significant time frame. It's, it's, a, it's a, <clears throat> something they could understand that, that we're coming to the end of this day here. It's something we can understand. And he's saying, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. By the time the sun goes down, we need to start thinking through our anger. And we need to meditate and be still. And we need to repent of that which is wrong. And as believers, our anger should dissolve. And we should then need to humbly worship God and confess our sins. And put our faith in the Lord. 
It's not that you won't ever be angry, but it's what you do with that anger that counts. It's where you go with it, how you respond with it. You will be raised up at times. You'll be provoked with things that, that will stir you up. But let me ask you this. Are you giving Satan room to have a place through your anger? He says, we are to resist. We're to resist giving Satan any room to work. He says, do not make a place for the devil. Even as believers, it is possible that we can subject ourselves to our anger to the point that Satan takes advantage of us. And he uses this against the truth. Friends, this is missing the mark. This is missing the mark. This is hamartia, and that's what he means. Do not give the devil an opportunity to make you miss the mark. God allows you to be stirred up for his holiness' sake, but do not let that stirring up be uncontrolled to where you miss the mark of the righteousness of Christ. Everything that we're saying here is about Christ and his righteousness. It is about pursuing Christ and his perfection for our lives. And no, we're not going to do it all right. But that's why we have Christ. That's why we come to him and we humbly bow ourselves before him. We confess our sin. He says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we're not to give place to the devil where we become like him. We're not to give place to the devil where we become like him. In fact, his name, the devil, means slanderer or false accuser. Revelations 12 verse 10 calls him the accuser of our brethren. He is the one who points the finger at the brethren. And he will bring these accusations before God and before us and before them. And maybe, even he's, maybe he's even right in what he has to say. But he's doing it to slander, to de demean, to run down, to push down, to oppress. Wrath out of control will bring much damage and hurt into our lives and into the lives of, uh, of the others around us. So I want to ask you this morning, have you brought your anger under the Holy Spirit's control. Many times, sins don't start from the things that they look like they would. Many times, young men in their lives have problems with impurity, and it can be traced back to an angry father. A father who let his wrath get out of control. I told you this is going to be meddling. And this is one of the things that in our churches across America, we have had many, many young men who have went after the lusts of their flesh full bore because they're running from the wrath of their father. I will tell you, fathers, if you are a child of God, or if you're not a child of God, God calls you to pull your wrath under control, to the control of His Spirit. He calls you to stop living in the state of exasperation. You cannot live in the state of continually being exasperated. You cannot continue to live in wrath. And produce the fruits of the Spirit. They don't grow in the same place. James says, can, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either the vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. You need a change. If you're a believer this morning, the answer is, 
to believe Christ and put that thing off. Whatever it takes, at any cost, with any amount of effort, put that thing off and put on Christ. Put on Christ. Because if you have let your, your anger turn to wrath, you've given place to the devil. And the devil is at work where you have done that. Well, not only should we pay attention to our anger, but we notice in number three, we need to postpone stealing to participate in hard work. Postpone your stealing. Stop the steal. We, this is where the real stop the steal is. It is that which comes out of the natural man. That is, he's a thief by nature. It includes the dishonesty and the cheating to gain more than what is rightful gain. There is rightful gain that we should be able to get. But what he's talking about is taking that which is not yours to have. Taking more than what is right for you and I to take. I believe that, that when he says here, let him who stole steal no more, no longer. He is simply saying it's time to take that mentality, that thinking, that disposition of the heart that says, I need more than what I'm getting. I have to do this so that I can possibly make it. We have this saying in the business world, I think I know you've heard it, if you're not cheating, you're not doing anything. Well, God is simply saying it's time for us to stop it. You've got to put it off. You've got to take it off. Because His truth and His, His word and His testimony are at stake here. And if we're cheating so that we can gain, then, my friends, we're not trusting God for what we need. We've taken it upon ourselves to try to make what we think is right. We've let God down. In fact, he says we need to start working hard. We need to labor. He says, but rather let him labor. We think about the guy that's the chronic thief out there in town who, who loves to smash windows and, and, and rob banks and... and, and and hold up somebody to, to take their purse or their money. Just saw a terrible example of an old lady who was sitting in a church praying. And these two women came in. And one of them started talking to her, asking her if she could pray for her. And while she was praying for her, the other one went around and pulled her pocketbook out and took out whatever she wanted. That's what we do, though in the name of Christianity, in the name of godliness, we take more than we ought to take. We make more than what, we, we make it about something better than what it really is. You see, we cannot use the name of Christ, prostitute the name of Christ for gain. The name of Christ must be pure, it is pure, but we must hold it up as pure. And how we deal with this thing of stealing is going to affect the name of Christ. It will affect how the world looks at Jesus Christ. Sometimes the worst people to deal with are those who profess Christians, profess to be Christians. They won't pay their fair dues. They won't, they won't, they're, they're difficult to deal with. He says, I want you to work. And here the labor means labor to the point of exhaustion and weariness. If you, if you have a problem here, labor to the point of exhaustion and weariness to make up for what we lack. And this, this laboring is working with our hands the thing that is good, that he may have to give something, have something to give to him who has need. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 10 speaks into this passage. 
2 Corinthians 5, and in verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I trust also, I also trust that we are well known in your conscience. Verse 9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Verse 10 says, We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we have done, whether it is well-pleasing to Him or not. And I believe this is where we as children of God, we're going to be held account. doesn't mean that we're going to be that we're going to lose our salvation in that sense, but we're going to lose reward. If our dealings, if, our, if our, our way of handling our money and dealing with people is not pleasing to the Lord, this is to please God. It's not for anything more than that. We're not here to lift ourselves up, to give ourselves a good name, but if there's a good name to have amongst the believers, it is to the glory of God. They should be able to look at the believers and say, I'll trust that man. He won't take advantage of me. I'll trust that lady to come into my house and clean my house. She won't pick up anything that she shouldn't. I'll trust those young people to come to my place and do things for me because I know they want my good involved. There should be that impeccable uh, testimony from the people of God. And I thank God that here... Here in this congregation, we have that. I thank God that I know many of people who look at numbers of you, have talked to me about you all, and appreciate the integrity with which you deal with them. And I want you to know that's a tremendous blessing, and it's a tremendous uh, way to give honor and glory to God. And so when I say this, I'm saying this because I believe it's something we need to pay attention to. Well, we, we cannot work our way to God. We can't make our way pleasing to God by our works yet. We are called by children of grace. We're called to have a business and a work ethic that is known to be that which God is pleased with. We're here not to just please our boss. We're not here just to please our customer. We're not here just to please the man that's... Uh, that's over us in a business, but we are here to please God ultimately. And in pleasing God, we will, we will seek to make sure that the boss is taken care of, make sure that the customer is well satisfied, make sure that the man that's over us is, is, is pleased with us as well. When Jesus was growing, it says that as he was maturing into a young man, it says that he grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and man. The fact that he grew in favor with God also meant that there was a favor of man that followed that. I don't, we don't live for the pleasing of man necessarily. We live for the pleasing of God. And by pleasing God, we come to the place where we actually can please our fellow men. Well, I think we have time maybe for one more, and then we're going to, to close. Well, not only do we need to not only do we need to postpone the stealing, but we need to prepare to edify by putting off filthy talk. Notice he says, "Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth." but what is good for, the necessary, for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Brothers and sisters, this word, corrupt, is the same word that's used in the, New Test in the, in the, in the time of Christ. Remember when he came to the disciples uh, when they were fishing, and they pulled in this great, this great uh, uh, catch of fish. And it says they, they sorted the good from the corrupt. There was obviously some bad fish in the, in the midst. There was some rotten or putrefying. That's the, that's the 
idea. The corrupt is, is rotten and putrefying. And just like they sorted out the rotten and corrupt fish, so we should be taking the rotten and corrupt talking that comes from a filthy mind and throw it out. Get rid of it. Take it off. I, I love the example of a, of, a, of a man when I was much younger who was, he was just a few years older than me and, and he had just become born again and God was working mightily in his life. And I remember being on the job where we were talking about something and somebody began a filthy joke and he just poked us all and said, let's go. And we just all walked off. That's the best thing to do. Yeah, it's shameful to the guy that's talking, but we don't all need to hear that. He says, put it off. Throw it off. And you do this, when you do this, when you put away the filthy talk, you prepare yourself for edifying talk. The language that comes out of your mouth should be that which ministers grace to your hearers. God should be pleased with what comes out of your mouth and my mouth. It should not be this stuff that does nobody good and hurts and harms everybody. But rather, it should be the talk of the Word of God, discussing the truths of the Word of God, being able to build one another up in faith and in confidence in the truth. <clears throat> when, we have, uh, when we are preparing for edification, it is necessary to get rid of the corrupt. It is necessary to take away the putrefying, the rotten. Because the, the, the good will not grow in the, in the place where the corrupt is, is there. <clears throat> James says that we're to put off all manner, all kinds of filthy talking. That we're to put away the, the jesting. We're to put away the evil thinking. By the way, evil talking comes from evil thinking. A man, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among of our, our members that it defiles the whole course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. He says, many beasts... Have, can be tamed by mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men who are made in the similitude of God. He says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Listen, I, I believe with all my heart that if we're going to be used in the edification, speaking to the edifying of the saints... If God is going to use you to proclaim His gospel or to even encourage and strengthen the brothers, the filthy talk has to go. And if the filthy talk is put away, then, my friends, there's a place for God's grace to move in. And when His grace is able to take us to, to an understanding of the truth, then we can minister grace to those with whom we speak. We're called to please God. We're going to close. And as we close, I, I just want to ask us here this morning, can we take this to heart? That what God has laid before us is something bigger than us. This is far greater than our ability to do of ourselves. Didn't have time to get to it, but next time we want to talk about not grieving the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that brings about into our minds what's a grief to Him. What is, what is wrong in my life can be known by the work of the Holy Spirit in the Word. And He wants us to throw these things aside. Put them away so that we can grow, so that we can have what is edifying, so that we can do what is right, so that we can think the thoughts that God would have us to think. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask this morning that your name be glorified through us. Lord, as we take to heart these words that you have given us through your servant, the Apostle Paul,
and his work by the Holy Spirit, Lord, again, minister this truth to us that we may be given up to your will in all things. Father, not only in the truth, but yes, importantly in the truth, but also in our actions, in our, in our understanding, Lord, in our thoughts and our feelings, that these things may be brought into your control so that you can use us for building your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.